0: Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's program. This is Calvary Live. We originate here at Grace FM, a ministry outreach of the Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. We just want to welcome everyone that's decided to tune in today. Uh, Those of you that are going to call, those of you that are listening, those of you that will be texting, uh, we're grateful that uh, you're a part of our fellowship family here on the radio. This is the show where uh, we take your calls live uh, and talk about the things of God. Opening, I have a Bible opened up in front of me and uh, encouraged to um, talk about the things of God, pray through things, uh, what is it that's on your mind could be a Bible question, it could be a prayer request, uh, it could be a, a wrestling with a text or you know something that uh, has been on your mind for a while, give me a call. My name is Ed Taylor, I'm the pastor here at Calvary in Aurora, and uh, just so grateful to be used by God in these last days, uh, certainly not without uh, its spiritual warfare, um, but it's worth it, it's worth it, uh, uh, it's worth serving the Lord. And it's worth being faithful. Uh, just going through my email today and reminding just such a, it's so valuable to stay, to live your life above reproach uh, because accusations are going to come. And when accusations come, you only have your life uh, to answer for it. And and if you choose to live your life above reproach, then it won't stop the accusations, uh, but the facts will speak for themselves. So one of the things that we adopt here and that I brought with me from my from the Calvary Chapel that I came from in Colorado, or excuse me, in Downey, California, is something that we call the. Well, actually, we don't call it. It was named this by the Billy Graham Organization. It's called the Modesto Manifesto. The Modesto Manifesto. It's so important to um, to to understand what that is. And anyone that comes on staff and in leadership, uh, we ask them to abide by these principles. Uh, and Billy Graham and his evangelistic organization developed it in the early days uh of the ministry because so many evangelists and so many pastors were falling to the wayside because of these particular sins, so they made a resolution in Modesto before one of their um before one of their um, crusades uh to say in our organization, this is what we're going to adhere to uh and it's basically four things. One is they would be very careful with the money. There would be uh, things set up uh, where there would be accountability whenever money's is involved. Uh, and two, uh, they would be very careful not to speak down or negative of other ministries. Uh, doctrine, you know, of course, we can speak about false doctrine and that, but, but not to, to elevate or be in pride speaking down on other ministries. Uh, thirdly, they were never to be alone with a woman that wasn't their wife or daughter or mom uh, that there would always be accountability uh, and and so they they would um, be very careful to not travel alone, not be with the woman that 's not their wife, and even travel with their wife if possible, not counseling women, uh, but women like the Bible says, women counsel women and men counsel men and then the final one is that any benefit or you know any um, uh, anything that happened in the Crusades, they had a commitment not to exaggerate. Uh, so, like, if a hundred people came to an event, then they would say a hundred, not ten thousand. Uh, you know, there's unfortunately there's a phrase that's in the church today. It's it's evangelist evangelistically speaking, and basically what that phrase means is it's exaggeration, and and you know, exaggeration is just a lo- a big word for lying. And so, when someone comes on staff or someone steps into a place of leadership within our fellowship, we have a little, um, we have a talk with them. Um, for me, anyone that comes on staff has a personal talk with me. Uh, and then in the leaders around the church, they talk about this Modesto Manifesto uh, because it's it's important. Uh, it's important to live your life that way because if we ever see any variation of that, we're going to immediately talk to you about it and and ask you, hey, what's going on and why are you uh, doing this or what why what happened when you didn't follow this procedure with the money or whatever it might be. So living above reproach, as it says in First Timothy chapter three, is so valuable. And so important. And you never know when you're going to need it. But you, I'll tell you when you're going to need it, when the accusations come, the false accusations. Because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses day and night, uh, the Bible says. And he creates in people's minds vain imaginations and empty thoughts and and a life above reproach. Now, in the second half of the program, uh, I'm going to share with you a, a top 10 list that Rick Warren uses uh, within the Saddleback church and, the, and, and he uses it. I actually got it from a website um, that's called pastors.com. and I'm going to look that up during the break and I'm going to read to you because we've just recently began, I just been recently begin to praying about this list uh, because it's a little bit longer and uh, a little bit more thorough. And it's something that they use. Now, of course, principles and laws and rules or whatever you want to call them aren't, gu- aren't guards against sin because anybody can sin and they could do uh, whatever, they, you know, whatever uh, they want to do uh, in sin. But um, for the most part, for those that are wanting to live above reproach, which is most people, uh, it's very helpful. So I was just thinking this afternoon uh, how grateful I am uh, for the Monesto Manifesto, how grateful I am for my pastor Jeff Johnson uh for him handing that to us back in California and explaining it to us and then now, for eighteen years, we've had the privilege of having it here and I tell you any anytime someone steps aside from it, it almost always leads in in um you know horrific f- failure uh and and it's too bad because the enemy's roaring around like a- ro- roaming around like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And um, got to be careful. So welcome, everyone, on Grace FM. Uh, welcome, everyone, that's listening on Hope FM. And welcome to everyone listening on Truth FM. And welcome to everyone listening online or on the app. We're glad that you joined us. The phone line's filled up quick today. So let's go right to the phone lines. On, number, on line one is Olga calling from Denver, Colorado. Olga, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Pastor Ed, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I just have a question for you.
0: Okay, great. Um,
1: so I've been kind of wanting, I've been walking on thin faith the last couple of months, and I've been praying and, and reading the Bible a lot, going to church, um, and feeling like there hasn't been really any answer to my prayer. Okay. And last night I had a dream and this mm-hmm. dream was just one of those dreams that I, it woke me up. I was so shocked by it. Um, it was a dream back some years ago. I went to, I was going to down south to a ranch to pick up my kids and I got stuck in a snowstorm and found the house where I needed to be in the middle of nowhere because it was like in the middle of nowhere. And in the dream, God told me that. He walked with me, and so I'm just trying to trying to understand if it's Him responding to my prayer or if it's just my wanting an answer and not finding it.
0: Well, it's, it's hard to tell uh, what the origins of dreams are and where they come from and what they exactly mean, uh, but did I hear you correctly that you said in the dream it was uh it was something around, along the lines of the lord is letting you know he's with you did i hear that correctly yes yeah i mean yes. that that's an encouraging dream i would receive that uh from the lord because it even if you didn't have the dream it's still true uh-huh. because the bible says that he's promised to never leave you or forsake you uh-huh. and and so the dream only is is affirming what the bible teaches and that w- what we know to be true now of course any dream that or any, um, like I was sharing earlier, vain imaginations or weird thoughts that are not based in fact or truth, you know, we yeah. want to dismiss. things; those that are right. unbiblical, we want to set set aside, but it's certainly a reminder, at the very right. least, that dream is a reminder of God's faithfulness in your life and, and His presence. And, and you know, the problem with us, Oga, and I don't know how you experience it, because I can only speak for myself, but it's really, really hard to pray and wait. Right. Um, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard it's hard it's harder than hard you know i was I, that's a new phrase that I've developed uh, over the years where uh, over these last four or five years where it's harder than hard it's just so difficult and and so it it, it causes us to become impatient it causes it... us to become upset, it causes us to doubt uh to yeah. fear and was... to get our eyes off the lord and and I would encourage you um to um, I know I've done a couple Bible studies on this topic that um, I'll have to look for you, um, but don't stop praying. Jesus told us that, Luke chapter 18, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Right. And so be like that persistent widow because even if an, if, if an unjust judge would answer a persistent widow, how much mm-hmm. more will your father, your just father in heaven answer uh, his daughter that comes to him day and night? And when we think of prayer, too, remember that there are generally three answers to prayer. Right. There's the yes answer, and there's the no answer, and there's the wait, wait. answer. Right. And we don't like wait, and we don't right. like no most of the time either. Um, yeah. but, but in the waiting, we are being developed and discipled and fashioned and becoming stronger in our faith, and it's right. not this, all this waiting is not wasted time.
1: Thank you, Pastor Ed. I You're appreciate welcome. Your, your words. And Can I pray with you? Amen. Yes, please.
0: God, I pray for my sister Olga and many people listening in that are in that mode of waiting and they're praying and seeking an answer and and even some getting dreams. God, this was an encouraging dream, so thank you for that because encouraging dreams are easier to understand than, than discouraging ones. Uh, and and i know that that god you do say in the last days that you're going to use visions and dreams in our lives and so uh, we know it's possible and and that dream in particular is just affirming the truth in the word for olga and for many listening that you're you're ever present with us you've promised to never leave or forsake us uh, you promised to to be our our guard before and behind us and so be with olga with the desire of her heart god and strengthen her in her prayer and Help her in her impatience, because your word says that the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's long-suffering. And so fill my sister with, this, with the anointing and a fullness of your Holy Spirit today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor. Ed.
0: You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. I forgot to even mention the number. 303 690 w- That number works anywhere in the country. And if you want to text us, text us, uh, go to, um, use seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. And Olga, uh, my buddy Kevin, who's producing the show today, sent me a couple of links of things that I've written on, uh, and if you email me, I'll send you those links on the topic of waiting on the Lord. Uh, and so, thank you, Kevin. Um, I've got them right here, so all you have to do is email me, and I'll cut and paste them and send them off to you. All right, let's move on to Dennis in Longmont line two. Dennis, Hi. welcome to the program.
3: How you doing, Pastor? Good, what's up? Good, yeah, you know, I got a quick question here. You know, being a, I I come from a, a Catholic background and about maybe twenty years I decided it wasn't for me and <coughs> been uh, you know, I've been reading the Bible and I'm with the person and we go to church regularly. I try Good. to do fellowship too much. The one thing I can't wrap my finger around or my arm around is is the translation. And and as as we know, Catholicism believes that it is the body and blood of Christ. Yes, it represents it. And, and I don't really know where I get where the Catholics comes from, where they where where they believe it's the body and blood of Christ. As Protestants, why don't we believe it?
0: <laughs> well, because it's an unbiblical doctrine. You know the full doctrine of transubstantiation is the idea that in during the Mass that Jesus Christ is literally crucified once again and shows up in the elements with his literal flesh and his literal blood. And there's just nowhere in the Scriptures, anywhere whatsoever, that supports that thought. Um, let's take it back to the very first time that Jesus uh, institutes what we know as communion. Um, when he does that, what is he doing? What what activity is he doing? Let's just let the Bible speak for itself. What's he doing when he institutes what we know as communion today?
3: Well, it's it's the last it's the last supper. It's,
0: he's it's, having a meal. You know, yeah, he's having meal. a Passover meal with his disciples. Right. And he takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. And he begins to hand the bread to those at the t- reclining at the table with him, and right. says, "Take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you." Now, number one, right. is his body broken yet? No. So, it, not yet. Is there? Is there? Did he give them uh, the loaf of bread, or did he stick his arm out and have them bite into his flesh?
3: Well, we know we know the answer to that, don't we?
0: I, yeah, I know I'm only saying it in its simplicity for the sake of people listening in because yeah, yeah. Of it's a lot m- right? if we come it to the is, Bible and it. let it, but yes, we sure. do know the answer to that. He didn't do that, and I know it's a little exaggerated, so that's right. That's right. I appreciate yeah. that. so so he hands it around, they do that. then he takes the cup that's filled with wine, fermented ah. grape juice, he does the same thing, and he says, "Take and drink, this is my blood that is shed for you, and we know right. that in the same way, the blood hasn't been shed yet, and what right. they ate was bread and what they drank was wine. Uh, It didn't have any type of transformation or change whatsoever. And Jesus connects that moment of Passover with all of the future and he says, as often as you do this, do what? Take of the bread and take of the cup of the wine, of the the fruit of the vine. Anytime we take of the bread and the wine, it's the same way that the disciples did. It was totally symbolic. Jesus does not show up in number 1 he's not crucified over and over again because the bible teaches us that he was once for all delivered to the uh, for the saints you know the word of god was once for all he was crucified one time uh, the faith was once for all delivered to the saints and for Jesus he was crucified once for the sins of the world and 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 so when communion comes, we 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 faith, we believe the Bible teaches that it those elements are symbolic,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and the presence of Jesus in communion, in worship, in um, Bible study, in whenever two or three are gathered, like you and I right now gathered by technology, right. the presence of Jesus Christ is already here, right, already here, and. And so from a simple reading, and of course, theologians have spent their entire lives explaining transubstantiation, con-transubstantiation, which I I think is more of a Protestant view, and then the symbolic view. uh, They spend their whole lives um, giving uh, explanations and all of that. But a simple reading of the Scripture would tell us that it is a memorial meal of what Jesus did for us and those those that cracker and that blood. It's not insignificant. It's not just ritualistic or religious, but he, his body, you are not literally eating the body of Jesus Christ when you take that bread. It does not change in its molecular structure. It is still a piece of bread. It's processed by your, by your body um, like any other thing. You
3: know, that Pastor, you that, that explains it pretty good, and this might not be a fair question to ask you, but why is it that in Catholicism they just they, they they say it that's it it is what it is and why do you I mean maybe it's not a fair question because you're obviously you're not a Catholic priest so maybe it's not a fair question to ask you but why are they so you know it's in stone for them I mean it's no there's no well, gray area you know, for them why do you think there, that
0: <clears throat> there's quite a few there's quite a few doctrines that we have that are different views on them uh, and the Council of Trent. Uh, in, thir- in the 1300s, they, they codified this doctrine. This was this is when it was made real. And the, ca- the Roman Catholic Catechism says this, and I quote, "...because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly His body that He was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, this Holy Council, now declares again, that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ." Our Lord, and the whole substance of wine into the substance of His blood, the change, this change, the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. Mm. Mm. And so, the the error made by the Council is that when Jesus takes the bread and says, "This is My body," they are reading into the text that something changed in that piece of bread, as if they because before the 13th century, before the Council Trent they they thought it represented the body and blood. Like, no, I'm sure I'm it was curious, around before right? that, but this is where it really became codified. Um oh. I haven't studied this since my days of Bible school, okay. so I don't really yeah, yeah. Re- remember. But it's, it, yeah. I'm sure it was around. They, I'm sure they didn't make make it okay. up in the 1300s. But they, but but the uh, the reality of it being codified that's really where you go back to the Council of Trent. Uh, and you know, there's probably some Roman Catholics that would take us farther back than that. But the reality yeah. is that when Jesus, we have to let the Bible mean what it says and say what it means. And and you it would be reading into the text to say that the bread changed when Jesus said, This is my body. Right. It would be the but the text doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that because if that was the case, um let's just again for the sake of argument, say it was the case, then ah. let's say he handed it to Judas and Judas took a piece of it. In Judas's hands, according to the if that's really what Jesus meant, then he is it's no longer a pita bread in his hand, it is the flesh of Jesus Christ because he right. everybody still has to take off a piece, right? You know, that that's how the that's how the the Seder meal, or the Passover meal was it was a flat bread where you would take a piece, hand on the bigger bread, take a piece, hand on, right. and so literally. The cup—it was wine when Jesus handed it, but when he, when he declared it blood, then the cup then they began to drink blood, right. and that's just not what the text says in any way whatsoever, ever. Yeah, and nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Book of Acts, nowhere in the book in the letters, is there any mention, any teaching, any correction of why are you guys drinking wine and not blood or whatever? Nothing like that. It's reading into the text and. I believe it's it's a danger when we read into the text
3: i, I in my you know in my feeble mind I, I look at it you know this way it's like look that's not the dogma of the faith you know if 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 a domination believe it is the body and blood and a domination don't that's not that's not the that's that's not a dogma of the faith, so you know so it's like and I understand what you're saying, and i agree with it obviously but but i just don't um it's it's not something that we should lose sleep over. I don't think, compared to other uh, different things, the dogma of the faith.
0: Well, I would say this. I, I agree with half of what you said, but it is a significant misinterpretation of the text when it comes to the transubstantiation of that right. of that part of the mass. Right. Right. The mass is well, is, is I mean, wholeheartedly that, that, an unbiblical process. And so so we've got to be careful. All right. I think I lost you here, so sorry. I don't hear you anymore. Um, But thanks for calling, Dennis. 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, Kevin, I don't know what happened. He just faded off. Um, So I'm going to go on to line number three is Roberta. She's calling from Maryland. Roberta, welcome to the program.
4: Hi. Thank you for taking my call, Pastor. You're welcome. Uh, My uh, question is, like how do you prove that you've forgiven somebody yet what um people observe is basically the consequences of the person's actions uh we have a family member who uh our our daughter has since died but a family member who had done something to our daughter when she was alive. And we yes. didn't really find out about this until afterwards, although our other children were aware of it. And whenever we're with family members in general, because uh, uh, it's usually weddings or funerals, um we're being attacked, my husband and I, and told that, oh, you guys call yourself Christians. Well, you need to learn to forgive. You need to learn to forgive. And we have forgiven, but we don't let this person be involved in our, our life anymore. And I view and that as a consequence to his actions.
0: I would. I, so I'm going to read into and ask you the question. Uh, I, I take it that this person abused your daughter? Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. You, you, it sounds like, and even I can hear it in your voice, it sounds like that you have extended forgiveness because this is an atrocious sin and it's a very painful sin uh, for something like that to happen to our own daughter by our own family and listening Uh. in your voice and listening to you, it does sound like you've released him from the debt of of how he hurt your daughter and 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 the only way that you're going to be able to communicate that to people is just saying just by repeating it over and over again i have rec- i have i have forgiven you uh, on the other hand what people are failing to understand is because i've forgiven you doesn't mean that i would put my daughter in harm's way or any of my grandchildren or anything um, exactly to a, to a person that's known as an abuser and i wouldn't let them be alone with him i wouldn't let them I, I need to walk in. I need to walk in wisdom, to protect the innocent. The innocent gets the first benefit of the doubt, and and by my being a wise parent, watching over my children, doesn't in any way mean I don't forgive you. Uh, and I'm sorry it happened. I wish it never would have happened, but please don't think for a moment that I'm going to let it happen again.
4: Exactly. Um, That's exactly for, our stand.
0: And and even if the person says, "I promise you, it will never happen again." Um, you can answer. I know it will never happen again because I'll never let you alone with my children. Um, you've lost that privilege, um, and you know I don't know to what degree you allow your kids around someone where you can watch them, you know, and and still have a peace and a sense of trying to. Um, again, this is a much larger question that radio is not going to really cover. But if I was sitting down with you in my office, I would I would look for areas where maybe we could. Um, You know, you would allow them to to look him in the eye and say, hi, uh, uncle so-and-so, or shake their hand, you know, or, you know, something that would affirm that, yes, we've forgiven you, and the line that we've drawn is that we're not going to allow you to be alone or something. You know, just kind of walking in forgiveness in the sense of, I'll give a little bit, but I'm not going to feel guilty that this is where I've drawn the line, And, and so it... Up into the line, you know, you may be able, maybe God is softening your heart to where, yes, they can sit at the same table with him. Or, yes, uh, they can talk to him when you're sitting next to them. Or something where you know you're watching them and uh, there could be no grooming or anything like that, even if he'll never do it again. Um, Well,
4: see, right now, our our children, because this happened when she was young. uh, Well, I'll tell you what, we're coming up right on
0: that. we got one minute left, so let me pray for you and and i think that that was a a good answer for where you're at right now. So father i pray for my my sister i know it's hard um but would you give her wisdom and strength on how to deal with this situation and and uh, even as there's a little bit more to the story god there's always more to the story and i know roberta her heart breaks and it's and she's crushed and she's also you know a little firm god and i thank you for that firmness to protect her children her grandchildren uh and and those that are in their life and so would you put peace in this family, God? Um, would, you, would you soften hard hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Roberta. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, we're coming up on the end of today's uh, first half of the program. Uh, we've got an open line, 303-690-3000. Um, Caesar, you'll be next. And then Mike, um, you're next. And then we'll, be, uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us in the second half. I'm going to be looking up that article. Remember, we talked about the Modesto Manifesto and how important it is to live above reproach because, man, accusations come. I'm telling you, the enemy's fast at work. He's known as the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night. And we don't want to be a part of that nonsense. We want to walk in light, not in the shadows. And it's a good thing. So Modesto Manifesto we talked about. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at
0: 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to today's program. This is the second half, and I got a little carried away. I forgot to look up that... um, I forgot to look up. Kevin, could you look up on pastors.com? I think it's the Ten Commandments for Leaders um, for me. Thanks. 303-690-3000. Sorry, guys. I was I got distracted with a, with a thought uh, during the break, and then, boom, the music's on. 303-690-3000. My name is Ed Taylor, uh, and I'm grateful and what a privilege it is to serve you, not only as a pastor of Calvary Chapel, but here on Calvary Live and, and I want to speak to those of you on Grace FM, listening on Grace FM. I just want to thank you guys uh, for your regular financial support. You know, it's a ministry of our church. It's not a corporation. Uh, it's not, um, you know, we're not a corporation. It's a non-commercial radio station that's dedicated to building up the body of Christ with worship and the word. And, and so are we are um, uh, we're always in need of support. If you'd like to support us. Uh, just go to gracefm.com, and uh, we would love to to have you being a part of of our support team, uh, and um, just even if you want to do it regularly, it be it would be so encouraging to us because there are hard costs with radio stations, and that's true for you guys listening on Hope FM, and it's true for you guys listening on Truth FM. There's always hard costs to radio, and um, all of our radio stations are not commercial for profit; they're nonprofit. There are parts of our church that it it is literally a ministry of Calvary Aurora. And uh, so uh, go to Grace FM. If you're listening on Grace FM, go to gracefm.com and you will be taken to the donation page of Calvary Aurora. And uh, just, it it would be awesome if you took care of that for us. 303 690 3000. Uh, Cassandra has sent me the link, but it didn't come up properly. Uh, so, Cassandra, there it is, Ten Commandments. So let me. So we were talking uh, in. We were talking earlier in the first half of the program. Um, as I was going through my email today, just um, the topic of a- accusations and false accusations uh, has come up, and I was reminding everyone. And I don't know if your church does this, but when I came from Calvary Chapel in Downey, uh, I brought with me something known as the Modesto Manifesto, which is a series of principles that the Billy Graham organization used to um, to help keep their pastors and leaders um, above reproach. Uh, and, you know, f- for example, in my life, I, I don't handle the finances of the church. Uh, in my life, I don't travel alone. Uh, in my life, I'm, I don't counsel women. Um, I'm not alone with a woman. Uh, if I am, I'm in a place where it's public, uh, you know, like in the sanctuary or uh, in a place in our building where we have cameras all over the place, and uh, because women should counsel women and men should counsel men, and and uh, and so I, I wanted to let you know that um, uh, we Modesto Manifesto. And now the second half: um, these are ten commandments to help church staff maintain moral integrity. And let me just read it to you because it's short. Uh, and if you don't get a chance to get it, just uh, send it to me. I mean, email me and I'll send you the link. So here's what it says. No matter how many times I hear it, it still shocks me. A pastor announces his resignation because of adultery. Often it's with someone within his church, sometimes even someone actively involved in ministry, such as a choir member or Sunday school teacher. It's such an incredible waste of God's resources that it not only grieves me, it angers me. I have not told my staff that if any of them even flirt with temptation, uh, I have told my staff that if any of them even flirt with temptation, I will come after them with a baseball bat, and I told them to do the same with me. As Christian leaders, we need to be above reproach. Paul wrote, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And that's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. That's why I established these saddleback staff standards for maintaining moral integrity. Number one, thou shalt not go to lunch alone with someone of the opposite sex. Number two, thou shalt not have the opposite sex pick you up or drive you places when it's just the two of you. Number three, thou shalt not kiss any attendee of the opposite sex or show affection that could be questioned. Number four, thou shalt not visit the opposite sex alone at home. Number five, thou shalt not counsel the opposite sex alone in the office, and thou shalt not counsel the opposite sex more than once without the person's mate. Refer them. Number six, thou shalt not discuss detailed sexual problems with the opposite sex in counseling. Refer them. Number seven, thou shalt not discuss your marriage problems with an attendee of the opposite sex. Number eight, thou shalt be careful in answering emails, instant messages, chat rooms, cards, or letters from the opposite sex. Number nine, thou shalt make your secretary your protective ally. And number 10, thou shalt, not pray, thou shalt pray for the integrity of your other staff members. And the first three do not apply, he says, to unmarried staff. And I would even add, I mean, we could add out that if you see something, say something. And that's something, you know, that's a new phrase with the heightened issues of terrorism stuff. But that, that, that's just godly love. That's just love. You confront someone if you see something or you think you see something so that you can resolve it in your heart and your mind and move on. Uh and so if you want a copy of this, email me. Um it's Rick Warren's Ten Commandments to help church staff maintain moral integrity. And the other one is the Modesto Manifesto by the Billy Graham organization. Um good stuff, because we want to live above reproach, because I'll tell you, accusations come, they're gonna come, they they do. The enemy's the um he is the Accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand. We're going to go back to the phone lines, and we have. I let me see. Caesar number line one. Caesar, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for waiting, Pastor. Can you? Uh, my my friend has uh, was told he has cancer. He has uh, water in his lungs. And he's in the hospital yes. right now. in could you pray for him for me?
0: Let's do that. Do you want to mention his name?
3: Uh, his name is Jim Notary.
0: Okay, God, we pray for Jim today. Um, just the difficulty of this disease. Um, it's such a destructive disease, God. But you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so we pray that you would touch his body, God. That you would relieve some of the pain. That you would help the doctors with this fluid that's building up in his in his lungs. And I, I pray the same for Judy. Um, our own Judy, who has fluid building up in her lungs as well. And, and I pray, God, that you would remove um, the sickness and, and heal and strengthen. And we pray that according to your will, not our will. And we trust you with Jim, even though we love him and, and care for him. And Caesar's his good friend, Lord. I pray that Jim would know that you're with him and that you are alongside of him and that he would be encouraged. And we can't, it would be so glorious and so wonderful. Uh, even as we heard recently with our um with with our our friend that was um, healed of pancreatic cancer unbelievable um we're just so grateful that you can do that you can do that lord and you still do do that and so we just pray right now that um you would be with Jim and we're thankful for the healing of Bill and we look forward to hearing more in Jesus name in
3: Jesus name thank you
0: you're welcome God bless God bless thank you Thanks, Caesar. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number, and it's true. Um, we've been praying for Bill. He's he's the father of 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 one of, one of our staff members, and um, we urgently and and diligently pray for this brother. And he just recently got all the scans back, and 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 it the cancer's gone. Unbelievable. We're so grateful. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand. We're going to move on to Erie, Colorado. Line 2 is Mike. Mike, welcome to the program.
2: Uh, Hi, Pastor Ed. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, So I don't know if you remember, but yesterday's show at the very end, you were discussing blasphemy, and uh, I had called, and I didn't get a chance to ask my question regarding the same topic. So I was okay. hoping to ask it now. I remember. Um, okay, and yeah, so um, and, and it sounded like your 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 position with the way you were explaining it was that blasphemy was the ultimate rejection of the Holy Spirit calling someone to Christ, um, and and that prompted me to call because I had I have been thinking about this lately, and um, and I was reading in Mark where uh, where it, it's it's it, the, the context is I think it's Mark chapter three. You know, some Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, "Well, you're casting out demons by the power of Satan. Um, yes. You're actually demon possessed." And yes. Jesus uh, rebukes them and says, "No. You know, a house divided against itself cannot stand." Um, and then he goes on to say, "I tell you that all forms, many forms of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven." And then, and then, yes. my version, the New Living Translation says, after that, it says he said this to them because they said he was possessed by a demon and and yes. just the way that i read that it sounds to me like he what he's saying blasphemy is or the unforgivable sin is accusing or giving credit to satan where uh where it's actually the work of the holy spirit or saying that saying that the holy spirit is actually uh the power of satan and not the power of god am i just reading that incorrectly or is that no. that's just the way no it you're not you <clears throat> the yeah. Con-
0: yeah, and that's a, that's a, it's good that you pick up the context because as we as we let that scenario um, play out you're, you you mm-hmm. you have to distill it to its very essence because the it's got to be that place where there's just no way that that sin a sin can ever be forgiven and mm-hmm. i would i would put it this way i would put it attributing the work of god mm-hmm. to the devil and, and mm-hmm. how, do you re- how do you attribute the work of God to the devil but by rejecting the word of God and rejecting God's move in your life, like I mentioned yesterday, the conviction of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. That was the whole life of the Pharisees that died in their sin. Uh, mm-hmm. They lived their lives rejecting and attributing the work of Jesus to the devil. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Jesus was saying, it's not, that's not possible. He, he's explaining mm-hmm. that particular scenario to them but when I, mm-hmm. I I think when you distill, I don't think the sin is saying because we don't we don't get to see Jesus face to face. We're not going to minister. He's not going to show up in Aurora, and mm-hmm. I'm going to see him at a park. So we have to distill mm-hmm. what's the essence of that sin. And I think you hit mm-hmm. it on the head. You just hit it on the head on the positive side. I would I would take it to the negative side and say the only sin that can't be forgiven is the rejection of the conviction of the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, and it's okay. and it's not the work of the Holy Spirit where He wants to do something in a believer, but rather you live your entire life attributing, mocking God, um, making fun of God, saying there is no God. You know, all of those are are a part of the unbelieving, hard-hearted person that dies in their sins.
2: Yeah, the problem is I've done that before when I was when I was when I was uh, outside of of when I was away apart from God. Um, I got I got saved at uh, around the age of twelve, and then fell into fell away um, and and got into a, got into some trouble as a, as a as a youth, and then it's only later in my life that I've come back to God. But I remember, you know, I used to I used to you know claim that you know that there was no God and that Jesus was dumb, and and I would I would laugh at you know there'd be memes online you know my, making a mockery of. Of Jesus, and and I would I've laughed at those before, and I've, and and I'm sort of worried that, um, that maybe, maybe I've I've been guilty of that. You know, I've I've come back to the Lord, and 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 I pray, and I and I've I've been reading this book by John Eldridge about how to hear God's voice, and and yes. I don't feel like I hear it, and I start getting paranoid. You know, I start I try to I don't know if you've read this book, but you know he's he talks about taking really small steps like nothing too emotional you know god should i go to kroger or should i go to safeway for my groceries and and listen for that and i've tried these exercises and i and i just feel like i don't hear anything and i feel like i maybe it's because of something i did you know to the lord back back then when i when i had fallen away um and and i just yeah. i'm really fearful of that
0: well, I can, I can assure you that a couple things from talking with you, that one, you, you haven't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the reason I believe that is that your heart is soft toward God. You've come to him in humble repentance. You've responded to him. And, of course, you said dumb things. All of us have said dumb things. I, 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 Paul, when he describes his life uh, in the past, he was a, he was a mocker. Uh, and you know, when he looks at his life, he committed some atrocious sins that he's ashamed of. Peter as well. I mean, we we look at our lives and we're grateful. the The good news is is that you didn't die in that condition. Um, I'm I'm I would be very concerned for people that die in that condition because
3: um,
0: it, it is a very dangerous one. I don't know the souls of men. I don't know if people are saved. I can only look at their lives and see the evidence. And so, I number one, I have assurance of that in your life. Number two. The idea of hearing the voice of God is something to be cultivated. It's something to receive. It's something that I, I don't know about John Eldridge. I haven't read that book, um, but the, the the way that I would encourage I haven't written a book on that topic, but if I was to write a book, I would say that the, the way to hear the voice of God is to go to His word. And the idea of of going to King Supers or uh, you know going to Kroger or going to Safeway. The, the the reality is is that if I'm walking in the spirit, either store is gonna put me where God wants me. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to be all freaked out of which store should I go to. Uh like this week mm-hmm. I, I had this I'll give you an example this week. This week I, I woke up, I had a long day, but I had a couple hours, uh, in the early, early morning and two mm-hmm. people came to mind that I was gonna call and try to connect with. Uh and 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 so I'm like, Lord, why I don't I, I, I don't know who you want me to meet with and they're both very mm-hmm. important meetings and and uh, and so I just sat down and I shot up a little prayer, uh, maybe five minutes or so. Lord, I'm just just praying mm-hmm. for them and praying for the meetings. And then I got up and and I felt an impression to go with one and not the other, and mm-hmm. and I did. It was very fruitful. It was very wonderful. And and I believe that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Uh, and I mm-hmm. don't have to have a validation. This is my answer, Ed. You mm-hmm. should call. I just following the impressions. Um, mm-hmm. Both of my choices. Uh, were were good there was, could have even been a third choice I was open um, to even a third choice that i wasn 't thinking of but in the two that came and I just felt an impression go with this one and I made the call and it all lined up circumstances I went and picked him up uh, and he 's a friend of mine 's kid and I was doing some discipleship with him and um, teaching him how to study the Bible it was beautiful it was glorious it was wonderful and and so I think we can make the leading of God more complicated than it is. If you're prayerful and you're walking in the Spirit, wherever you are, that's where the Lord wants you. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, somebody listens to that. Well, what about if it was a strip joint, Ed? Well, obviously, that's sinful. Why would God lead you there? You, you don't belong there. Uh, and so we know that there's guidelines and guardrails in the Scriptures. But I mean, if you're right. in the Lord, you're enjoying fellowship with Him, it, you're just so encouraged in Him, go to king super's and be open and then go to safeway and be open and and it's not your fault because you've made mistakes because we've all made mistakes you just keep turn true turn uh, excuse me tuning your ears humbling yourself before the lord and just start making decisions and watch and go oh you know and and, and say well I'm going to go to king super's and 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 then you're like oh but somebody backed into my car should have gone to safeway no no, the Lord allowed someone to back into your car so you could meet them and you could learn patience and you could call your insurance. I mean, that's what right. life is. And life's not always going to go our way when he's leading us. Right. Well, I, I just wrote a blog post on that, when things don't go our way on, on my yeah. website at edtaylor.org. And not everything's going to go our way, but God is still our God.
2: Sorry, to, uh, sorry. To, now, now, now. I've sort of have another question. You could could I ask it that? just from sure. your response? It's actually prompted another question in me. So, Gideon, when he when he thinks he's heard from the Lord, um, he puts out a test. He puts out the blanket and says, you know, uh, if if this is you, put the water on the blanket. I'm I'm probably getting this wrong, but you're familiar with what I'm talking about. He he actually tests God to see if. <laughs> if what he's hearing is true. Yeah, and and then, what do we
0: learn from that? <clears throat> what do we learn from that? What's the big lesson that we learn from that episode in Gideon's life? What do you think?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just imagining if I, if I were Gideon, are you, are you talking about the issue with his sons later? or
0: No, no. Um, um, I mean, it's I, I mean, it's it simpler like than that. It's,
2: it's successful <clears throat> when he gets confirmation. He gets confirmation, and then he goes and he does what God asks him to do.
0: Okay, so um, check this out. If you follow the, if you follow the life of Gideon, mm-hmm. God was so abundantly clear with him. It could, mm-hmm. He couldn't have been more crystal clear. And Gideon still puts out the fleece, and then he still puts out another fleece. You know what, it, what I mm-hmm. learned in that? Is that God mm-hmm. is very patient with us and gracious mm-hmm. to us. Because he could have mm-hmm. just bent down and slapped Gideon upside the head and said, You already mm-hmm. know what I told you to do. But in Gideon's case, God was very patient and gracious to him. And so many times, God is the same way with us. We Gideon, oh, he, before he put that fleece out, he absolutely 100% knew what he was supposed to do. And he didn't want to do it. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Isn't that the case so many times? Like we know what God wants us to do, and we don't do it because we don't want to.
2: Yeah, but I mean is it then is it then sort of disobedient to ask for confirmation if you feel like if you feel like you're hearing from the Lord and then you say that's well a harder be qu- sure because
0: you Well, know, that's a harder I, question. I, and to and I know ask.
2: you I listen to you quite a bit and it seems yeah. like one of your one of the things you're always teaching is is patience and waiting and waiting, and waiting on God and more waiting and waiting and <laughs> more waiting um and you know, I hear Pastor Louie talk about, you know, doing things in the flesh, you know, you can really yes. you can really screw things up for yourself if you if you're not in tune with with, with what you think you're hearing. Um,
0: yes. Well, you know, yeah. that's a harder question to ask because I think it is okay to get confirmation. I think it is okay to look for open mm-hmm. doors. But in, in yeah. when you use the Gideon example, the brother already knew. For example, yeah. um, let's say you're at let's say you did end up at King Supers, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And somebody did back into your car, and now Mm -hmm. you got to go and get the insurance. But you got to go in and get the milk. So you go in and get the milk, Mm -hmm. and the person there at the checkout stand, Joe, is there. And you're in your mind, you got this impression. Share the gospel with Joe. Ask him how he's Mm -hmm. doing, and then you say, "Well, Lord, should I ask him? Should I ask Mm -hmm. him how he's doing? Should I like you already know, bro? Why are you getting confirmation? Mm -hmm. Like you already know, that's good to do. The Bible says to do it." Uh, And so it depends on the circumstance. But, you know, like when we moved here to Colorado, we waited for confirmation. We waited for open doors. And so it really just depends on the situation. And but when we knew we were supposed to go, the only thing we could do is get on the plane and go. And that's what we did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: Okay, brother, I got to go. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, I want to jump to line one here. I want to jump to line one. It's a good question. It's Gene and Centennial. Gene, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, thanks for taking the call, Pastor Ed. Uh, You're welcome. What's need, uh, up? Repeated, or do you already know what it is?
0: Well, I'll read it to you. It says uh, you have a question about sanctuaries at Calvary Chapels. Why are they devoid of decoration like crosses or stained glass windows?
5: Yeah, when it's the centerpiece, I'm and I'm newer to. I've only been coming to the Calvary Chapels. And I've come into a number of, in Colorado cities, I've been to your own half a dozen times, Uh and I've even been out of state when visiting my kids, and I love the message, I love everything, I will admit, um, because I'm in my late 50s, I'll admit I miss some of the traditional songs, but
2: shoot, that's not
5: about me and the kids are there in in masses, so what a trade-off, including my own. But I'm just curious whether it's such a centerpiece of the message that... There's no, there's no centerpiece cross up on the altar. There's no stained glass windows with the light. There's, there's no yeah. altar in general, period. And I've, yeah, I've and never that's quite a great question.
2: under got that.
0: Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple reasons. One is the, center, this, this, the centrality of a decoration in a building is actually not the center of the message. The center of the message is the message. It is the message of the cross, not a cross, but the message of the cross. And, and so I think over the years, the decorations in a building have taken more prominence than they really needed to. Do you know when the children of Israel were told to build an altar in, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, they were told to, if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it out of cut stones, for if you yield your tool on it, you'll profane it. He says, just make me a normal altar. I don't want it to be fancy. I don't want you to spend a lot of money on it. Even in the relation to the temple, make it simple because the temple can't even, uh, can't, it was Herod that made the temple so dramatic. Uh, it, 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 wasn't, it was not It was not a believing Jew that, that made the temple so dramatic. It was, it was Herod the Great, and he was a prolific builder. And so the central focus of the message is not a building decoration. It is the message itself. Because you could be in a church with a cross on the wall and they're teaching false doctrine. And the cross on the wall doesn't, is not the centrality of the message. Now, let's talk about some practicalities. Uh, for us in our building, uh, we built the, the largest building that we possibly could for the least amount of money so we could be good stewards with our, with our money, with God's money. And so to us, the building is not in the important part. Of our ministry, it's just a tool, like anything else because if you would have visited us ten years ago, you know where you would have had to gone, you would have had to go to a school because we rented a school uh, and, and we gathered together as a church as many churches do today. They gathered together in the school and and part of our philosophy of ministry is is that the building is not important because the church isn't a building, it's people and and so wherever the people are, like right now you and I are having church on the radio. Uh, and and so our 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 decisions are both financial so that we would be good stewards we can send money to the mission field because you know when we were building this money i couldn't believe how much money it costs just to have rounded corners and that's why in our building you see hardly anything that's rounded it's all corners because it was the least expensive way to do it and how we try to make the carpet last as long as possible and and if you would have shown up um 3 years ago we would have you would have seen a cross on the wall because we actually did have a cross decoration on the wall behind me for many years uh and now we yeah, now we project it uh, yeah so now we project it like last night the service i was so encouraged because we had a song on the cross uh that was the the lyrics of the actual worship song was a cross and the 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 folks in the back room had projected a cross on the wall uh and so you you're right it's probably a little bit of the way you were raised it's a little bit of our western culture um because you know, the, the, what, what God is interested is not in the building. It's not in the building because the building doesn't contain God. He's interested in the people because that's who the living God lives in. He lives in the people. But we're not against crosses. You know, stained glass is so expensive um, that we're not against stained glass either. Um, it's just how can we do the most with what we have in order to preach the gospel?
5: and you know i was going to i didn't frame that as part of my question but that was one of my observations that it's not like we're still these different ta- congregations are still meeting in a church basement or whatever these are new uh, facilities in many cases that they've built and yet your answer is more outstanding and more powerful than i could have ever imagined that is beautiful sir thank you for well, that i think it's a uh, great schooling. question
0: that that's why I wanted to jump uh, jump to your question because it's a good question. Um, it we we you know it it's if if the answer would be something along the lines of you know we don't think crosses should be in a church. Well, you know that I, I don't I don't see that as viable. But I I think that I knew the reality that one
5: is be as, <laughs> yeah I, you know the I, the
0: reality is is that with the 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 central message is not an ornament. It's not a steeple. It's 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 not even an altar. It is. It, we, want it, we want things to be as simple as possible in, in order to magnify the teaching of God's word in the presence of God. Because I tell you, I'm in that room when it's empty. Uh, I will often come into the sanctuary when it's empty and pray and, and enjoy. And, and I'm in the building when it's empty. And let me tell you something. It is a cold, dark, damp building. But when people show up, when I've the been. kids come to school, man, it comes alive because the church shows up to that building.
5: Gotcha. That's beautiful. That is, That is just beautiful. I was uh, fearing that it might just be a financial <clears> thing, and I'm so thrilled to hear it's far, far greater than that. I had yeah. no idea. That's, thank yep. you for that explanation, sir.
0: Thanks, Gene. Have Look forward to meeting for you one day. Man. Bye-bye. Okay, fine now. Hey, we're coming up on the end of the show. Great show today. Man, so encouraging. Just so encouraged. Remember, we talked about the Modesto Manifesto and the Ten Commandments of Moral Integrity. If you want those, email me. I'll send them to you. Um, maybe you want to adopt them in your church. Uh, believe me, you'll be glad that you did. You'll be glad that you did. God bless you guys. Go to church this weekend. Let's worship Jesus together. CalvaryAurora.org You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and prayer. God's Word.